Welcome to the weekly podcast at Second Ponce de Leon Baptist Church. My name is Doc Hollingsworth. I'm senior pastor of this great congregation, and we're delighted that you've joined us. Our prayer for you is that as you listen to this message, you might feel closer to God and closer to God's hope for you. Our scripture this morning is from Paul's letter to the Philippians. Let's read chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. If then there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation from love, any sharing in the Spirit, any compassion and sympathy, make my joy complete. Be of the same mind, having the same love, Being in full accord and of one mind, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bend and heaven and on earth and under the earth And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the creator. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Before I begin this morning, you all should know that I come from a long line of Ohio State fans. So you are lucky that I decided to still show up this morning. But regardless, Happy New Year. I'm impressed by those of you who made it to church this morning. You might be wondering what I did to celebrate the new year last night, and the answer is nothing. It seems like I have drawn the short straw preaching the morning after everyone in the world stayed up past midnight. But the truth is that I'm in a very influential position to set the tone for the rest of the year. If I really had my way this morning, we would have rolled in a snack cart into the sanctuary. We'd all be in our pajamas. We'd be sipping coffee and eating donuts while I preach for maybe five minutes instead of 20. We would sing a little, we would pray a little, and we'd all be back in bed by noon. That would have been my way to start off 2023. But instead today, we are talking about Paul. If you have some experience with Paul and his letters, you probably tense up at the start, expecting condemnation and berating of the behavior of the people that Paul is writing to. Paul is famous for finding flaws you didn't know you had and letting you know in no uncertain terms that you are being very unlike Christ. Sometimes we read the words inside with Paul imagining how silly the Galatians are being, standing alongside him to scold the Corinthians. But other times, 
And I think this is why Paul's letters are included with history and prophecy. Other times, we see bits of ourselves, of our own lives, our own actions, on the receiving end of Paul. Personally, I don't appreciate the guilt trip from Paul. I don't like being told what to do, and I don't like being told what not to do. So starting off this year with Paul was an interesting choice that I did make. Fortunately for us this morning, Paul's letter to the Philippians takes a different tone. It seems the Philippians were doing an okay job representing Christ's church. Paul greets the Philippians as friends, as brothers and sisters, as partners in God's church. He expresses confidence in their work and appreciation for their role. And this is not something that we often see from Paul, at least not when you read his text critically and maybe a little defensively, as I often tend to do. The Philippians is different. Knowing the affection that Paul seems to hold for these people, we read our passage this morning differently. Upon first glance, it seems as though Paul is pleading with the church of Philippi, challenging their convictions, trying to reason with them. If you find any comfort at all in Christ, if you find any consolation from love, if you feel any partnership with the Spirit, if you have any tender affection or sympathy at all, you will listen to what I have to say about Jesus. But because of what we know about Paul and his relationship with the church of Philippi, we know that he's not preaching to a group of ragtag twice a year churchgoers. Paul is preaching to the choir. When he says, if you believe this, if you are this, if you feel this, he's not challenging the Philippians, but rather he's reminding them of the community that they already share, saying, because you find comfort in Christ, because you find consolation from love, because you feel partnership with the Spirit, because you have tender affection and sympathy, you will listen to what I have to say about Jesus. In this moment, Paul is a little bit like me, talking to people a little bit like you. In the context that we maintain within the walls of this church, everyone who stands behind this pulpit is preaching to the choir, not the literal choir, but to you all. And that's not a bad thing, but it is something with a challenge tacked on to the end of it. Paul is voicing these commonalities. He's complimenting the Philippians. Or as someone my age would say, he is gassing them up for what he says next. It is widely believed that the second part of this passage, verses 6 through 11, was a hymn recited and sung during worship in that time. A hymn that seems to have moved Paul enough to include it in his correspondence. It is very unlike Paul to hand over the microphone, so it must have been powerful. It must have been important. So let's let it land on our ears one more time. I'm going to start in verse 5. 
Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. Jesus did not live up to their expectations. The boy born to Mary in Bethlehem did not come to conquer or control. Compared to what one would expect from God come to earth, Jesus' life was hard. He humbled himself to be, as Paul says, a slave. He sacrificed himself to the point of death, death on a cross. Jesus was given a name above all names so that everyone would know that he was the son of God and that Christ was God's self come to earth. If he didn't have that name, would we even know? We call him Messiah. We call him Emmanuel. We call him Jesus. But what else do we call this unexpected man? Do we call him rule follower? Do we call him commander or chief? Do we even call him religious? Or do we call him an outlaw, a breaker of chains? Do we call him radical? Now, I told you earlier that I didn't do anything fun last night, but that is not entirely the truth. I did not stay up until midnight, or at least I tried not to stay up until midnight. The city is very loud on New Year's Eve. I did not watch the ball drop in Times Square, and I did not pop a bottle of champagne. I did, however, put on my fuzziest socks, pour myself a cup of hot chocolate, and snuggle on the couch with the two cutest cats in the world to watch a movie that has been swirling in the back of my mind since I set out to study this passage. Last night, I skipped the New Year's Eve festivities and instead watched The Road to El Dorado. Now, if you haven't watched this movie, I highly recommend it. It is an animated DreamWorks classic from the year 2000, and I'm about to spoil it for you. The movie begins in early 1500 Spain when friends Miguel and Tulio, best friends, both tricksters and thieves, find themselves imprisoned on Cortez's ship headed to explore the new world. And along the journey, they escape from the ship, and after floating around for days in uncharted waters, they finally hit land, a land that is covered in beaches and jungle and volcanoes and mountains and a land that is hiding El Dorado, the city of gold. When Miguel and Tulio make it to the city with plans to steal as much gold as they can and head back to Spain, they are greeted by people they did not expect to be waiting for them. 
You see, the people of El Dorado lived in isolation forever. And their religious leaders maintained a prophecy that gods would come to cleanse their city of the wicked and save them all. And when they found these two escaped criminals at their gates, they began to worship them. Now, this could not have gone better for Miguel and Tulio. The new plan was to use their god status to accept as much gold as they could carry and sail away, letting the people of the city believe that they had been touched by the divine. But the religious leaders of the city grew suspicious of their new gods. These gods were not strong or powerful. They looked like regular people. They ate They slept, they bled like regular people. They did not live up to the expectations for a god. However, through a series of events, Miguel and Tulio used their status to save the city, to end violence and human sacrifice, to overturn corrupt leadership, and to change the people's fear of gods into a love for them. And it was their humanness that made them so powerful and so good. Now, the theology doesn't totally line up. It's a children's movie about an Aztec civilization, which in this metaphor would be us, and a couple of expert criminals, Jesus. And the history is wildly inaccurate, and there's a magical element to the movie that I don't think Cortez actually encountered. But... I think of this movie when I think about the humanness of Jesus. What the people, both in the Bible and in El Dorado, expected from a God, from the God, was different from what they found. But it was exactly those differences that saved El Dorado, and it was exactly those differences that saved us. Jesus was fully divine, and Jesus was fully human. But it was his humanness that made him the most like God for us. Now, whenever I preach, I always carry my sermon with me, literally. It goes from my computer to the printer into my hand, and it does not leave my hand until I put it on the pulpit to preach. I often print out multiple copies and I always number my pages. I've had nightmares, last night I had one, of standing in front of a congregation and looking down to see that my sermon is missing. In those nightmares, I'm forced to stand up here and speak for 20 minutes using only my brain, which undoubtedly seizes up under the pressure. So to avoid those nightmares coming true, I trust only my hands. And the point of me sharing this with you is to show you what I carry my sermons in, and more importantly, what is also in here. So this is a black leather folder. I think it's called a pad folio, but that's a silly word, so we're going to call it a folder. On the outside of this folder is the logo and name of the first seminary that I attended in Richmond. And on the inside is just stuff that I have shoved in here, old sermons, um, old orders of worship from churches that I've been to. 
But the most important thing that I keep in here with intention is this. This is sheet music for a song that I sang as a teenager in youth choir. It's not the best song we ever sang or the easiest. It's not the most exciting. As far as music goes, it's really not that great. But this is a song that has stuck with me. It's called God Has Work for Us to Do. And I'll read some of the lyrics to you. Till all the jails are empty and all the bellies filled. Till no one hurts or steals or lies and no more blood is spilled. God has work for us to do. Till age and race and gender no longer separate. Till pulpit, press, and politics are free of greed and hate. God has work for us to do. In classroom, church, and office, in shops, or on the street, in every place where people thrive, or starve, or hide, or meet, God has work for us to do. By sitting at a bedside to hold pale, trembling hands, by speaking for the powerless against unjust demands, by praying through our doing, and singing though we fear, by trusting that the seed we sow will bring God's harvest near, God has work for us to do. And I keep this music in the back of my folder to remind me why we are here. To remind me that though we invoke God's presence into this space of worship, God does not, hear, does not sit here waiting for us to come back next Sunday. The work that Christ left for us to do is endless and radical. The task's impossible for you and I to accomplish. But the task we do accomplish every day, if we're doing this whole Christian thing right, is carrying on the legacy, the spirit, the love, and the chaos of Christ. If you were following along in your Bible as we read the scripture today, you might have noticed that this passage has been titled, Imitating Christ's Humility. Now, I've challenged us to some things today, and none of them seem to be about humility. You see, Christ's humility was in his sacrifice, was in his honor, his service, his goodness, and his truth. His humility was in his unapologetic righteousness. But he did none of this for himself, but in service of God's people, of all people. The greatest challenge for us is to find humility not in silence, not in politeness, but in action, in solidarity, and in service. So let me speak to you like Paul for a moment. If you are a church that loves God, if you commit yourselves to be a follower of Christ, if you find community here, if you love your neighbor, if you believe in the church's mission in the world, hear what I say to you. But I'm not Paul, and I do know you. So my church family 
because you are a church that loves God, because you commit yourselves to be followers of Christ, because you find community here, because you love your neighbor, because you believe in the church's mission in the world, hear what I say to you from verse 2. Make my joy complete. Be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. Take responsibility for your community. Look your neighbors in the eye. Roll up your sleeves and get to work like Jesus taught you to. Let your humility be loud. Be an imposition. Carry yourselves with the weight of Jesus' name. Flip tables and break chains. Tear down walls and stand up for justice. And whatever you do, do it together. Do it for others. And do it in imitation of Christ. Let's pray together. God above all, hear our voices lifted to you. Today we leave our sorrows behind and we praise you with peace, hope, joy, love, and excitement. You've gifted us someone who we did not expect but who we so desperately need. Guide us in new beginnings, on new adventures, and as we recommit ourselves to being like-minded with Christ, growing in number, growing in strength and in humility, until the unexpected Jesus surprises us again. Amen. Thanks for joining us. If you live in the Atlanta area or visiting Atlanta, come and worship with us in person on Sundays at Second Ponce de Leon Baptist Church.